the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM. We are the answer for you, AM 860 AM. 860, is it 860 AM or am860theanswer.com? You can reach us either place or the second one. And, and the uh, the other thing is you can go to my website, drbillradiomd.com, and Click one of the buttons that say join me, and you'll get me every Sunday, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm your international Dr. Bill. You can get me on the on the World Wide Web and listen, or you can go to the old shows, which you can reach through my website as well. If you want to hear something that's already been recorded, you can do that. Well, I uh, I was writing in to the office the other day, Bill, and I heard this voice talking about eating less and how to lose weight and cut your calories and all that. And I got, it was me and it was a promo for the show. I was like, who is this guy? You know, he sounds awfully familiar. So apparently the station's doing a good job of pumping me up and getting me out there. And I am a doctor, believe it or not. And I do talk about medical things. So I'm going to give you my brief, uh, herbal and food supplement, story here. Now, the green powders are apparently new on the market, and U.S. News and World Report had a big uh, article about them, and the bottom line is, is they are ground-up vegetables and grasses and different plant matter, dried, of course, and uh, this is supposed to be a supplement, and it may or may not be helpful, I don't know, but it's certainly not a substitute for real vegetables, and certainly you need to eat vegetables both cooked and raw because the raw vegetables will have a little bit different nutritional value for you than the cooked ones will. Now, the only drawback to these green powders, other than they're not a substitute for eating a good, healthy diet, is that some of these will have traces of heavy metals like lead and and arsenic and mercury from, from the ground that they're grown in. So the best way to ensure that you're getting something of, of health and value is to check with websites like Consumer Labs and see if they have vetted these or not. Well, I wanted to talk today about, and I will talk today about, what's going on in Iran. Now, Iran, you may or may not know, is one of the largest countries in the Middle East, and the 
other large country there, at least land-wise, is Saudi Arabia. And the Iranian population is overwhelmingly the largest population in that region. It's 80 million plus people. So it's a big country. Uh, it certainly has wielded a lot of power over the eons. Uh, they had an extensive empire before the birth of Christ, which stretched from basically from the borders of India to uh, the borders of Eastern Europe. And they've added a lot to the world. They have one of the oldest uh, continuous civilizations in the world, and they've been at the crossroads of traffic and trade and uh, politics and religion and economics for millennia. So this is a country that we have to look at and uh, think about and take seriously. And we saw in the past couple of weeks this uprising of the poor, which is uh, cutting into the quote, quote, revolutionary ideals and legitimacy of the government that was founded by Khomeini. Uh, as you remember, back in 1978-79, the Shah was deposed, and Khomeini, the exiled, imprisoned, uh, fundamentalist Shiite cleric, came back, and the country was taken over by, by him and his people and the Revolutionary Guard that were his uh, military arm. And they promised to bring social and economic and uh, political and religious change to the country. And, and they did start off, and the, the standard of living did improve, and health care improved. It was a third-world country in large part, not necessarily because of the Shah. People saw the Shah as being uh, corrupt because he put on the regalia of a monarch. And, of course, that doesn't make people happy who are just squeaking by to see somebody roll by on a great big Rolls Royce or uh, now in Tehran, part of the problem is that the children of the affluent are driving Maseratis and Porsches. And uh, there's a lot of people who are still struggling just to get a meal on the table every day. So this has again raised uh, a lot of angst and anger within the country. But the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, he instituted this massive social and religious and political upheaval in the 1970s and 80s. But now it's matured, and of course, the people in power are corrupt. This has been a corrupt part of the world for eons. It will continue to be a corrupt part of the world until democracy can take hold and take foot. And the Islamic Republic was based on the ideals of a better world for the oppressed and the poor. But what we're seeing now is the oppressed and the poor. And, and by the way, this revolution started out as an economic and socioeconomic revolution or, or demonstration or whatever you want to call it uh, because of the corruption that the people are seeing, or at least they're sensing, and the inequity and economics and in wealth, and that's something that we have to make sure that we don't implement here. But what has happened is that as the disparity between the, the, the minority rich and the majority poor has widened, people have become angrier. And it's not just uh, those who are uneducated. Uh, there was a good article in, in Christian Science Monitor about this, and the, the journalist interviewed a fellow who was working in a 
shop which sold perfumes and he has a master's degree in chemistry but he can't find a job so he's working for a friend and of course he said the ideals were based on those of a better world for the oppressed and the poor but that's not coming about uh, there have not been any real reforms in the past 10 to 20 years and of course it's a totalitarian society because it's a theocracy based on Shiite Islam and the ideals of Ayatollah Khomeini and his followers. And it's a, it's a fascist state. It's a fascist state because it's an oligarchy uh, that is ruling. They believe that the state should only have one party and that the state should control all aspects of the socioeconomic life of the people. And this is exactly what Mussolini and Hitler believed in. Hitler threw in the anti-Semitic and anti-Slavic message along with the fascist message but basically it's the same thing and there have been of course uh, discrimination against non-muslims there's a very small community of christians and jews uh, and probably a few hindus floating around i think the baha'is have pretty much been killed off they were a religion that actually began in in iran Iran was previously known as Persia. So this movement in in these cities or in this country and within the cities in this country is not and was not like what they had seen before when there were other upheavals in the past 20 to 30 years. This has hit even small towns, thousands of small areas where people are protesting uh, more than 70 cities and towns many of them long considered conservative bastions and backbone of the regime of this of this uh, theocracy and fascist regime the the poor shiite muslims who hung on to religiosity as uh, people will do when they're under stress and had backed these revolutionary people in power these ayatollahs they are now turning against the government. And the, the amazing thing is, is that in a big city like Tehran, you can hide your face in a crowd of five or 10 or 20,000 people and put a scarf around you. It's going to be harder to identify you. But in a small town of several hundred or several thousand, everybody knows you. So these people are no longer afraid of their government, even though the Revolutionary Guard has been called out along with the police to put down these protests. And they're seeing... banners and uh, pictures of Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who is the current supreme mullah or Ayatollah of the country. And they've burned his posters. And we've seen government offices and security forces attacked and set afire. So this is a new era in Iran and the People are losing their fear of their government and of the Revolutionary Guard. And there are reports that Revolutionary Guard were out on the streets with the people actually burning their ID cards. So the power centers are unsettled. Uh, Is this the end of their regime? Probably not. Uh, Is it the beginning of a reform movement? I hope so. And is this an opportunity for us? Absolutely. We need to continue to export our ideals of democracy and freedom to the world. And this idea that 
they want to live the way they want to live, live, and we should respect that as a bunch of nonsense. This is the left wing's lunacy, and we have to counter that because the only way that we're going to have a safe world, a safer world, it may never be 100% safe, but the only way we're going to have a safer world is when we're all pretty much on the same page and when we all have a say in it, and that way people feel that they're participating and that they have options and that they're not stuck in a, in a quagmire of socioeconomic despair. And they're not complaining that there are broken promises. Yes, we have politicians making promises that they cannot keep or, or will not keep. And that's uh, eternal. Um, people say they're going to do something and, and, and they can't or won't for whatever reasons. But at least we have the choice of choosing who can say and what can say and what they can say and how can be said. And so we need to press this forward. This is not a conflict. It should not be a conflict between the United States and Iran. It should not be a conflict between Western Europe and Iran. This should represent, once again, freedom and democracies challenge to theocracies and totalitarianism and autocracies. That's all that, the, that this is about that for us. Uh, we don't want to see anybody starving in Iran, but by the same token, if we want to make changes there, then the best way we can do it is socioeconomically. And we have done that. The, the sanctions that were imposed over their refusal to give up their nuclear development had a profound effect and put the country into a recession. Their currency lost a good deal of value. And of course, there's a lot of inefficiency that is multiplied by economic stresses. Most of the large companies are state-owned. And again, along with democracy comes free enterprise. So this is another damper to any long-term positive movement of this country into the 21st century. And you've got a, a, an increasingly secular country, too. A lot of the young people are not going to the mosque. They're not going to church. And so there is an increasing secularization. And the idea that they're doing this for Allah uh, among the people 25 and under, of course, is starting to wane. And the population may suffer the effects of our sanctions against them, but the people they will blame, and they should blame, is not the United States, not Western Europe, not China or the Soviet Union or anybody else. They should blame their own leaders and their own inability to stand up and, and take control of their own destiny. And that's what democracy is about. And that doesn't mean that we won't have riots and protests and revolutions in this country. But at least we have the opportunity to take forward our feelings and our ideas and our beliefs and our hopes and our desires and put them into a, a political format and see how they fly. And I think that this is something that is distressing to the left because they think they know better for us. They think they know how to control and and uh, guide and direct us, and we thank you, left-wing people, but we can make our own decisions. We're not idiots. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not an idiot. I hope you're not an idiot. So 
while the population here suffers the effects, the ruling elite have continued to enjoy in Iran the lifestyle that they have become accustomed to while still pursuing a nuclear Iran because the deal that Obama made didn't work. Sound familiar? This whole scenario is just a repeat of what Reagan did in the 1980s of outspending the Soviet Union and setting up economic sanctions so that the Soviet Union would not be able to sustain its military uh, armament buildup, and it brought the Soviet Union down. And you say, well, yeah, but Russia's still there, and they're still a bad guy. You know what? They are a fifth of a tenth of what they were at the height of the Cold War. So in Iran, the, quote, shoeless peasant and religious conservatives who have been the backbone of the uh, revolution that Ayatollah Khomeini started are the people who are out in the streets now saying, wait a minute, this ain't right. You guys are not taking care of us. The social contract you made with us and that we backed you for has been broken. And the political elite there, they don't know what to do. Their first reaction is to blame it on someone else, xenophobia, the United States, Israel, Saudi Arabia. And you say, why Saudi Arabia? Well, the, the Saudis are Sunnis, and the Iranians are Shiite Muslims, and they're two different sects. And just as Catholicism and many Protestant sects were at war in the 15th and 16th, 17th century, they're still at war with each other. The Sunnis and the Shias are still fighting each other, even though they're the same basic religion. The religion of peace, by the way. Don't forget that. And we see Saudi Arabia intervening in rebellions and conflicts in that area, which had been stirred up by the Shiite Iranian government. And Hezbollah, which was created in the 1970s as an arm in Lebanon to attack the Israelis, is a proxy uh, army of the Iranians, and the Iranians have dozens and dozens of Shiite militia in Iraq. Remember Iraq? Remember we, we went in there with, with Bush 1 and 2 and then pulled out under Obama, and what happened? ISIS came marching in, and so the Shia militia, which are largely backed by Iran and funded and armed by Iran, have and have been taking up the fight against ISIS, and now ISIS is essentially defeated in Iraq and hopefully in Syria as well. And, of course, the Iranians have backed the, the leader of Syria, who is more closely religiously aligned with the Iranians than with the Saudi family and the Sunnis. So we see Iran influencing the politics of this region, being involved in conflicts, and even bringing in proxy armies and uh, um, mercenaries from Afghanistan and Pakistan to fight for them in Iraq, in Syria, in the small countries around Saudi Arabia, which are undergoing revolt and are being attacked by the Sauds. And it makes it tough for any real and meaningful peace talks to occur, to happen in this region, 
as in Israel and the uh, Palestinians, because of the constant military threats to the Israelis, Christians who are opposed to the Shias and the Iranians, to the Iraqis. And remember, Iraq is Sunni and Shia, so the ability of Iran to stir up revolt and civil war within that country is is looming large. And here's the thing, and I've said this before about a number of conflicts that we've been involved in since the end of World War II. We can't go in and then leave. And that's exactly what Obama did in Iraq. And that's what Carter did in Iran. And if you remember, Jimmy Carter walked away from the Shah when the revolt started, rather than backing him and pushing for uh, some kind of a coalition within that country and for greater, faster reforms. The uh, Shah was creating a secular state, and the Ayatollah did not want that, and the the, the peasants and the poor people and the religious uh, right in Iran wanted a Muslim theocracy, and that's what they got. And so we walked away from the Shah because of Jimmy Carter and his failed policies. And I said in 1979 when that happened, I said, we're going to be at war in the Middle East in 10 years. Sure enough, we were. 1990-1991 was the first Iraq war. And then we had Obama, who basically followed the same policies as Jimmy Carter, saying that we need to get out of the world's conflicts and let them work it out themselves. Wrong. No, we can't do that. Come on. You know, that's what Neville Chamberlain said about Hitler. Oh, let's just appease them and they'll eventually evolve out of this. Yeah, after they've killed tens of millions of people. So we we can't just go in and then back out. And we did this in Vietnam. We did it in the Korean Peninsula. Uh, we've done it in Iraq. We've done it over and over and over again. And I keep saying this over and over and over again, that this is not the way that we're going to bring uh, Pax Americana to the world. It's not going to work. And I think we're doing the right thing with the sanctions. And I think that uh, President Trump has the right idea that if there are human rights abuses that are apparent, that then we'll again implement sanctions against the Iranians, and it'll harm them even more. And I don't know of any other way at this point other than invasion, and I don't think that that's a viable option. You've got a country of 80 million people with reasonable resources and a lot of friends in the region who'd like nothing better than to see us bogged down in another uh, minor war in the Middle East. So you have the rich driving around in their Porsches and Maseratis and and flaunting their wealth and drinking and eating and hanging out. And, you know, the kids look like the kids under 25 are dressing like John Travolta. <laughs> and so it's a it's a whole new world for the these uh, Gen Xers in. I guess these are the millennials, 25. So they're Gen Xers and millennials in Iran, and they're going to change the world, and almost half the country is under 25 years of age. So it's it's a, a, a potent force, and we need to get in there and direct it as best as we can. Part of the problem is that 
the government controls the state radio, the state newspapers. Um, they control the television stations. And there are no independent television stations. This is just like Nazi Germany. It's just like it. There's not an open press. And you would think that the left would be the first to point this out and say, we can't tolerate this. This country doesn't even have an open press. But they don't say anything. They're quiet. Or they say, oh, Obama was right. He was right to pull out of Iraq and to let the Iraqis work it out themselves. And by the way, the Iranians and the uh, Shiite militia in Iraq are taking credit for, guess what, defeating ISIS. Well, they didn't do it alone. We had thousands of airstrikes against the, uh, the ISIS positions, and we helped them tremendously. And we had advisors and special ops people in there. But here's the thing. If you don't have boots on the ground, if you don't have a visible presence, then the population is going to believe what they see. And if they see Shiite militia defending them and pushing ISIS back, guess who, who they're going to think are the good guys? It ain't going to be us because we ain't got a face in there. So we want to be involved. There is a cost, yes. And my sisters will say war of any kind is bad. They hate war. You know what? Without war, none of us would be here. The species wouldn't be here if it wasn't for conflict. Humans wouldn't be here. Part of our evolutionary process, if you believe in evolution, is because of the conflicts that we encountered as we grew as a species, as a race, or whatever you want to call us. So we need some conflict. We would like to avoid conflict, but we see the necessity of it. Surgery is still a part of medicine, although there's less surgery now because of better medicines and better non-invasive treatments, and the same is happening with warfare. And hopefully at some point we'll evolve to, to where we don't have to have wars, but we still have to have them. We still have to have conflict, and if we go in and back out and come back in and leave and come back in, we're not going to leave any long-lasting stability. We're not going to leave any long-lasting ideals of democracy and freedom and private enterprise, which is integral to any democracy. So I say to President Trump and to all of the world leaders, get in there. Don't give up. Sanctions work. Do it again. And when the time comes, we'll step in and help out in any way we can. And we have to have a presence in the Middle East. We have to have boots on the ground in Iraq. You say, well, the Iraqis don't want us. We bought land from them. We got our own base there. Why the heck did we, you know, why did we leave it? Why didn't we just stay in that base? We could have worked things out. And the Iranian people are saying things like what Ziba Kalem wrote in, I think it was the uh, New York Times recently, I only wish for once you authorities, the Ayatollahs, instead of resorting to conspiracy theories and accusing the Western world, get down from your ivory tower, talk to the people who are weary to their bones of your policies, and ask them what their pain is. And I would add to that and help them with a solution. So there's a big disconnect going on in Iran. And although this will be put down, undoubtedly, 
we do need to continue to nurture and support these demonstrators and this voice that is speaking out against a totalitarian regime and against an economically and socially repressive regime. And if we don't do that, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do as freedom-loving people, as children of a democracy. The Probably the only homegrown democracy, maybe San Marino is a homegrown democracy, and I've talked about that before. But at the size that we are, we are the largest homegrown democracy ever in the world, ever, ever, ever. And we're more inclusive than any other democracy. Well, the other problem is the foreign policy of Iran. The Iranians do not want to have war on their territory. They want forward deployment just like us. So they are uh, backing these militias, these Shiite militias and the Hezbollah and these other groups in the Middle East who are waging war against ISIS, against Israel, against the Sauds, against anybody that they can, anybody that they feel is a threat to their existence. And the Sauds are a much smaller population than the, uh, the uh, Iranians are, but it's a big landmass. And it's an extremely rich and powerful country. And they are quietly going nuclear as well. As long as Iran is developing a nuclear weapon, Saudi Arabia is developing one. And as I pointed out, I think it was last year, uh, there are reports of the South Koreans and the Sauds uh, working together to develop a nuclear uh, ability, capability. So... This whole thing's a mess, and it's accelerating the arms race in the Middle East and the atomic weapons race in the Middle East. And, you know, the last thing we need are more and more volatile countries in possession of nuclear weapons. This is not a good thing. And some of the guys at the lunch table say, well, you can't stop it. Oh, yeah, you can. If you have the resolve, you can stop it. It can be stopped. We're the ones who first gave the Iranians nuclear materials in the Atoms for Peace back in the 1950s under President Eisenhower. Uh, we were helping them build reactors for energy uh, to produce electricity. So we can and we will and we must intervene. And again, 44 Shiite militia out of the 66 that are active in Iraq are loyal to Iran's leadership. That's two-thirds. This is a, a big problem, guys. We've we got to get it up. We've got to get our, our head up, and we've got to continue to push and be vocal and be heard throughout the world. And when I come back, we'll talk a little bit more about who the Iranians really are. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The road for primary challengers to incumbent GOP lawmakers may be a little tougher this year, President Trump declaring this weekend that his 2018 campaign efforts will not include challengers. After a stinging loss in Alabama, Mr. Trump says he doesn't see himself trying to support an uprising of outsiders against GOP incumbents. Mr. Trump telling reporters that he's planning a robust schedule of campaigning, nonetheless, mostly for incumbents. 
An Iranian oil tanker has collided with a bulk freighter and caught fire off China's east coast. All 32 crewmen are missing right now, and oil is spilling into the sea. After driving ISIS out of most of the country, Syrian government forces are now training their attention on the rebel-held northern province of Idlib. The province is home to some 2 million Syrians and a lot of al-Qaeda militants. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727 384 Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771. 2795 at 727-771-2795. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-694-7394. 800-694-7394. That's 800-694-7394. By adding Crystal River to their roster reports, Freedom Boat Club now has 17 of the absolutely best locations in Tampa Bay. Tierra Verde, Clearwater Beach, Ricks on the River, Madeira Beach, to name a few. When you join Freedom Boat Club, you're just minutes away from the best fishing and boating in the state. Reserve your boat online, and in minutes, you're on the water, with no time-consuming cleanup after your excursion. Call 855-FREEDOM, that's 855-FREEDOM, and get your membership started today. Or go to FreedomBoatClub.com slash Tampa Bay, that's FreedomBoatClub.com slash Tampa Bay, and tell them the captain sent you. Partly sunny, today's high 67. Partly cloudy tonight, low 52. A mix of clouds and sunshine tomorrow, high 74. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 60. Cloudy with showers on Tuesday, high 75. Heavy showers Tuesday night, low 62. That's your Aki Weather Forecast. I'm Jonathan Reed for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. That's a little bit of, you're still the one. That's for the other Bill at the other end of the line who's always talking in my ear. I can hear him. Uh, even though you can't, he's telling me and giving me cues as to when to start and stop. And 
take breaks and all that. So that's for you, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, our new year is marching in like a boisterous child with a horn and a drum. Hey, it's going to be a fun year. And our boisterous child is also our fearless leader. And it doesn't hurt my feelings a bit that he's making a lot of noise. And I hope that he continues to, and I hope that he takes the tact that I have talked about so far in our approach to Iran and what's going on in their country. Now, I got to tell you, this is, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how adamant and how sure and how certain that the left is that they're on the correct path in Syria. Iran has been able to help achieve what Mr. Obama said several years ago was impossible the survival of the Assad regime, a military victory over ISIS and anti-Assad rebels, the Syrian rebels, who were once backed by, guess who, us, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Jordan. Oh boy, the president of the United States, the past president, was wrong. That's one thing he was wrong about. So the Iranians have stepped into for the past 30 or 40 years, the fray that's going on in the Middle East after the fall of the Shah and the Iranians, uh, the Shiites, decided that they would become big players and in some ways secure their own, uh, secure their own, what, their own peace and, and economic, socioeconomic well-being. That hasn't happened. And they even had, oh, by the way, they even had a, a terrorist attack. ISIS attacked their parliament and uh, killed 20 people. You don't hear much about it, but uh, it shocked their country to realize that they were also susceptible to terrorism, just like we are, like Russia's, Europe, the Chinese, the Indians, everybody. We're all susceptible to this craziness. And the Iranians have become an unrivaled regional superpower by using communities and militia as their proxy fighters and to spread their theocracy and their socioeconomic ideals, if you want to call them ideals, uh, around the region and the world. And so the pronunciations and the declarations by people like Obama and Carter, and by the way, Carter said, oh, we can do business with the Ayatollah. I remember when he said that, and that was in 1979. No, you can't. No, you cannot. They want to destroy us, not the people of Iran, but the ruling elite, because they're fascist, and fascism necessarily must encompass as much power as it can in order to protect itself, because it's inherently wrong. It doesn't work. It's uh, uh, monolithic. It is against human nature. It's against free enterprise. It's against peace and order, and uh, so we we don't have any choice. Now, where did these people come from, these Iranians? Well, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is one of the oldest cultures in the world, and it has uh, arisen from being the crossroads between Europe and Asia, uh, between peoples coming out of Africa who spread out into the Middle East first, and then, uh, of course, down through the subcontinent, uh, followed the Indian Ocean. And, and 50,000 years ago, when ocean levels were lower, the archipelago between India and Indonesia 
and Australia was open, so people made their way into Australia, and that's the Aborigines. And the Persians have been in the middle of all this, the Iranians, since the beginning of time. Now, you say, where are they? Well, they're in the Middle East, and they're bordered the Gulf of Oman and the Persian Gulf, the Caspian Sea's on the north, and they have Iraq on their western border, and Afghanistan and Pakistan on their eastern border, and they touch on some of the old Soviet Union uh, socialist states, uh, and so they uh, and 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 of course they're essentially right next door to Russia, and they have had their conflicts with the Russians and have been at odds with the Russians off and on over centuries, but recently they've been warming up to the Russians to get what they need because. We've cut them off, which is exactly what we should have done, and we did. So they border countries like Afghanistan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Iraq, Pakistan, Turkey, Turkmenistan. Uh, they're bordered by, gosh, seven or eight countries now, and, and this, is a, this is a vital and strategic area for the world. And as I said earlier, there's about 80 million people living in, in the country. Uh, the industry is pretty much controlled by the state. A lot of the major industries are owned by the state, by the Iranian government. And the smaller businesses, which are struggling, are privately held. And this, again, for us, is going to be the backbone of any revolution and any real meaningful change in that region to implement democracy and free enterprise. The Iranians have not uh, adhered to the, to the international laws when it comes to human trafficking, and they are a big center for trafficking of women into sex slave and boys as, as sex objects, and uh, also uh, uh, forced labor and indentured servitude, which we outlawed a century and a half ago. And so they are, in a sense, lawless because they do not recognize or participate in, even at a lip level, at a lip service level, which we know a lot of countries say they're participating in these international agreements and treaties and then UN resolutions, and they don't, but at least the words are there. So it's a beginning. We're getting somewhere with a lot of the world, but not here. And the urban population is about 75%. So it still has a large rural population. And as I said earlier, the population is largely under 25. The life expectancy is uh, 129th in the world. And there's about 160 or 70 countries total. So you would think that they would be doing a little better. Not so. Uh, their health expenditures are not as much as, certainly not as much as the Western world and certainly not as much as a lot of the Muslim world now. So they've got problems. They have HIV. Uh, they have drug problems. They have foodborne and waterborne diseases like bacterial diarrheas. And they have uh, insect-borne diseases like Crimean, Congo, hemorrhagic fevers. The hemorrhagic fevers are not nice. About 26% of the population are obese, so they're alongside us on that. 
Education expenditures are 2.9% of their gross domestic product, and compared to the rest of the world, they're 119. So the efforts that the Ayatollah Khomeini apparently wanted to see have not been followed through, and about 86%, 87% literacy rate, um, they go to school on average until they're 15 in the United States. In most of the states, it's 18 that you have to go to school to. And we have a large number of people that actually, and you may say, well, high school's not as tough as it used to be. But at least they graduate and they can read and write and they can count and do some simple math. And uh, they're more meaningful and productive people because of that. The unemployment rate is sky high. It's 26%. 26%. That's where we were at in our Great Recession. This country has 26% unemployment. The Iranians are in an economic quagmire, and 22% of those are males, and 42%, 43% are females. So for a country that's wielding its military might around the region, they're obviously not putting any, anything into the uh, into the domestic, economic, and social needs of the people. And this is, uh, this is just a crime. I mean, this is what the Soviet Union was doing. They were fritting away all of their wealth on trying to keep up with the United States in terms of an arm race because they thought we were going to invade them, because they thought we had nuclear uh, capability that could hit them before they could hit us, because they thought we had weaponized biological weapons and that we had chemical weapons that were weaponized and ready to go. And that, of course, was all not true. We had biological abilities. We had anthrax and different bacteria and viruses that we could weaponize, but they weren't weaponized. They were just kept in case. And we know how easy it is to make chemical weapons, I mean, basically they're just uh, uh, organophosphates, bug sprays that are now off the market that were highly concentrated. That's it. So there's an assumption on the part of people that we are going to get them, and we don't want to get them. We want to get them up to our level, but we don't want to get them. We're not interested in conquering Iran or Russia or China. We're interested in seeing them do well so that they're Strong, equal, uh, intelligent, thoughtful, peaceful partners, trading and otherwise. So there's a lot of problems going on in Iran. And remember that they are on the border of Afghanistan, and Afghanistan is where a lot of poppy has grown, and poppy is the source of, of heroin and, and uh, other narcotics. So that heroin is coming through Iran to the Middle East and into Europe, and Iran has a big problem with drug addiction. So there's all kinds of problems that have not been addressed by this ruling elite. And, you know, we hear this from the communist Chinese that the people are not ready yet, that they're still too ignorant to understand and grasp and participate fully in democracy. I didn't see that when I was there this summer, this past summer. You know, the, the, the Chinese are 
from what I can see, they look like they're pretty well educated. Uh, they're literate, uh, they're industrious, and they're uh, interactive. They're social people. Uh, they discuss things intelligently from, from the few conversations that I had. And I can only assume that if I'm talking to one college guy, another college guy is going to have a similar uh, experience and a similar breadth and depth of knowledge. So a lot of this is just uh, self-serving xenophobia. It's people who want to maintain power for power's sake, and they like the good life, and they like having the wine and the women while everybody else is told that that's wrong and evil. Now, they are prosecuting drug dealers, and uh, there are capital punishments handed out when they do catch people. But again, this is a difficult area, and it's difficult to control the traffic. There's obviously going to be a lot of, uh, a, a lot of mafia-like groups that want to make money off of smuggling drugs across the country into Europe. And, by the way, into the Soviet Union or Russia or the old Soviet states. And uh, this is big money for, for a lot of people. And the farmers in Afghanistan have counted on this as a cash crop for decades. And, of course, the West has been more than happy to purchase and suck up the, the narcotics that come out of the Asian continent. So it's a, it's a big problem. And distressing to me is the, uh, the human trafficking. That, that I just uh, – I, I can't imagine how you can call yourself a religion of peace or a country that is adhering to the ideals of some higher uh, – being uh, Allah or God or whatever, and allow this kind of thing to, to go on and to not intervene. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I don't understand how people can call themselves religious when they don't respect basic human rights and they take advantage of kids. And you say, well, they probably don't have the money to implement the kind of enforcement that's needed. Well, they're spending money to arm Hezbollah and the Shiite militia in Iraq and Syria. Why can't they take this money back home and take care of their own problems? Because they want more power. That's why. They don't care about their people. It's just like the left here. They don't really give a damn about me or you. They care about advancing their own agenda. And people say, well, why do you like Trump? I don't know the guy, so I can't tell you if I like him or not. And I don't care who's in power as long as they adhere to our ideals, which includes not only freedom of choice and democracy, but also economic freedoms and free enterprise. And all these things are important. And if you want uh, to make it, then you get your butt up out of bed and go do it. It doesn't mean that I'm not willing to help you if you're making an effort. I think that we have a responsibility individually and collectively to those who are struggling and have potential, and, and we, we want to see that because when everybody's doing well, we're all going to be happier. But it just amazes me how much similarity there is between these fascist regimes and our own uh, nascent socialist, communist, left-wing Democrats who want to see a, basically an overthrow of our our way of life. I mean, they're, they're basically cut of the same cloth. 
and yet they're so ignorant of what's going on in the world and what the outcomes will be based upon how we approach it. So it's, it's a tough problem and I'm, I'm not real happy about the way in which it was handled in the past. Hopefully our current regime will do a better job and implement changes that will help not only people here in the country and our United States domestically, but also the rest of the world. We don't want to see an unstable Russia or China or Iran or Saudi Arabia or anywhere else in the world. We want everybody to be pretty close and doing well. And you know what? It's not just for their sake. It's for ours too. We, we have more trading partners. If you want to make a better world, then you open up trade. That's the way to do it. If you want to have a more intelligent and educated world, then you open up freedom and democracy and opportunities for learning and growth. And that's how you do it. It's not a mystery, folks. It's not a mystery. And although we can sit and debate whether or not Donald Trump is insane or not, it doesn't matter. As long as the policies that we want are, are being pushed through, who cares? And one of the guys in the lunchroom said, why do you hate Mitt Romney? I don't know Mitt Romney. I said, I, you know, I don't know him. I don't I neither love nor hate him. I just don't know him. I disagree with, and I don't want him in politics because he is not my kind of, of political ideology. Uh, this is a guy that essentially backed Obamacare and the devastation, the economic devastation in this country has been tremendous. People are paying a thousand bucks and more a month for health care with big deductibles. And I'm, I'm hearing this every day in my office from people. They don't know what to do. So I, I don't want to see Mitt Romney, and it looks like he's going to be the man from Utah in the Senate. I don't want to see this guy back in politics. He he didn't do, in, in my opinion, he didn't do anything great. I, I know he saved the Olympics and brought it out of uh, financial ruin, but I don't know the whole story there. And some of that may be uh, made up as well. It might be good press for Mitt Romney, and he comes from a, uh, a political family. His father was a governor, and so he has that in his blood, and he knows how to manipulate the situation to make him look good and more power to him. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not up for that. I'm not interested. Well, it's getting close to the end of the show, and I did want to say a few other things about Iran, but I'll – I'll forego that. I do want to talk about North Korea a little bit. And the South Koreans say that the North Koreans are willing to talk during the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in South Korea coming up. Why are they doing that during the Winter Olympics? I guess just to purport some showmanship and uh, let the world know that they're still there. I don't think it's going to do anything great. And people keep asking me, well, why didn't China do something? Well, the Chinese are not in control of the South of the North Koreans, not the way that we think they are. They're in control of the international response to it, but not the country itself. The country is more closely aligned with Moscow. <laughs> so, you know, there's always been a little bit of a rift there between the Russians and the Chinese. And, uh, of course, the K North Koreans have played that card very well. So there's a lot of totalitarian regimes around the world. 
And we should make it our, our sworn duty to see that these are brought down one way or another over the next half a decade. And as I said before, after 9-11, we've entered our 100-year war in the Middle East. We're now about, what, 10, 15 years into it. we got a ways to go. It's a fascinating time in history, and I love being alive, and I love being with you guys. It's been a lot of fun, and I want to see you next week right back here. We'll talk about something else. By the way, just because I'm a doctor doesn't mean that I'm not talking about healthcare-related issues. The world's health is my business and yours too. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I'll see you guys next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.